Hello, welcome to the Healthy You Chats podcast. This podcast is organized by members of the Healthy You Crew, a division of health and wellness at the University of Toronto. My name is Lulu and I will be the host of today's podcast. Before we dive in, this is just a disclaimer that this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only and does not substitute individual medical or mental health advice. And we will be talking about eating disorders, diets, and other sensitive topics that may be triggering for some individuals. So please feel free to give this episode a pass. The number for the Netic helpline and other resources will be listed in the podcast description. So our special guest today is Emily Tam, a graduate of the U of T Master of Public Health program and a registered dietitian. So she will be talking to us about eating disorders, diet culture, and other disordered eating behaviors. So welcome, Emily, and thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Lulu, for inviting me. This is actually the first podcast that I've ever been on. So this is really cool. Um, So exciting. Yeah. Okay, so let's um, get started with you telling our listeners a little bit um, about yourself and what motivated you to become a dietitian. So I've enjoyed food and cooking for as long as I can remember. Um, And then in high school, I became interested in the intersection of food and nutrition and mental health. And I discovered the role of dietitians in helping people to eat well and feel good, both physically and emotionally. And so I went to Brush University College uh, to obtain an undergrad degree in foods and nutrition and to prepare for a career as a dietitian. Now throughout undergrad, I was set, like really set on becoming a clinical dietitian Mm -hmm. and working in an eating disorder program to help people recover from eating disorders and then starting private counseling practice. But I didn't get into any of the dietetic internship programs that I applied for. So that derailed my plan. Um, But that actually got me to open my mind and consider areas of dietetics that I hadn't before, uh, to look beyond working in a clinical setting and counseling people one to one, and learn more about community nutrition, which I developed an enjoyment of. And so I eventually ended up going to the Dalalana School of Public Health, and I completed the MPH Nutrition and Dietetics program in 2015. And so I've been a dietitian since then. That's awesome. Yeah, along the way, I landed a volunteer position at the National Eating Disorder Information Center, or NEDIC, providing uh, support to clients through its helpline. Um, And this was back in 2008. And after uh, volunteering for a while, I was offered a short-term contract opportunity and that led to another and another. And so for the past few years, I've held a position as a project lead there. And my dietetics training has uh, been a real asset that has um, enabled me to get uh, opportunities to work on a cool range of projects from the development of resources for people struggling with eating disorders to projects that are more health promotion focused and eating disorder prevention focused. That's awesome. Thank you for providing us with that information. So 
You're like the perfect person to be on the episode today to talk about eating disorders. And um, you mentioned you do work for Netic and their mm-hmm. eating disorder awareness week is coming up in the first week of February. So I'm wondering if you could give us some information on what an eating disorder is and maybe what some of the different types are. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Eating Disorder Awareness Week will be celebrated across Canada from the 1st to the 7th. Um, So what are eating disorders? Um, We can think of them as persistent disturbances in eating and eating related behaviors that negatively affect uh, one's physical health, mental health, and or psychosocial functioning. And so now I can uh, talk a bit about uh, the types of eating disorders. And I'll start with anorexia nervosa, which is characterized by behaviors driven by an intense fear of gaining weight or being fat that interfere with achieving or maintaining one's natural body weight. There's binge eating disorder, which involves recurring episodes of binge eating that cause a great deal of distress Uh, but the binge eating is not routinely uh, followed by compensatory behaviors. There's bulimia nervosa, uh, which is characterized by recurring episodes of binge eating that are followed by behaviors that are intended to purge the body of the food consumed or compensate uh, for food eaten and prevent weight gain. And a negative self-evaluation that's linked to one's weight and or shape. Now make here a note about binge eating. So this means eating an unusually large amount of food in a way that feels out of control. Mm -hmm. Um, The out of control feeling is the key. So eating large portions of food is not necessarily binge eating. Okay. Um, Eating a bowl of ice cream or a bowl of chips for comfort when you're feeling sad is not necessarily binge eating. Mm-hmm. I think that's an important distinction to make. Thank you. Exactly. Um, so I'll also talk about avoidant restrictive food intake disorder or ARFID. Um, it's a newer diagnostic label. So it may be unfamiliar to some people, mm-hmm. unlike anorexia nervosa or bulimia nervosa. So ARFID is characterized by inadequate food intake that interferes with growth and development. Uh, results in nutritional deficiencies uh, and or negatively affects um, psychosocial functioning. Mm -hmm. So someone with ARFID may be averse to certain food characteristics like textures or uh, strong flavors. Um, They might be fearful of eating after having some sort of distressing experience involving food uh, or lack interest in eating. And their food avoidance is not related to any body image concerns. And then there's uh, other specified feeding and eating disorders or OSFED, uh, which refer to dysfunctional eating patterns that don't fully align with the diagnostic criteria for anorexia nervosa, bulimia nervosa, and so on, but still severely compromise health and functioning. And I really wanna highlight that you can't tell whether or not someone has an eating disorder just by looking at them. So people of all body types experience eating disorders And similarly, you can't rely on an affected person's size or weight to identify what type of eating disorder that they have. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's really important because um, in the media, oftentimes eating disorders are portrayed, you know, as a very, very thin, usually white um, teenage girl. 
And mm -hmm. um, thank you for bringing that up that you can't tell based on some, someone's appearance. Mm -hmm. So someone of a high weight, someone in a large body can absolutely have uh, anorexia nervosa and someone in a so-called uh, normal sized body can certainly also be someone who is struggling with binge eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so uh, now that we've touched on the different types of eating disorders, um, what are some of the common signs or symptoms of eating disorders that students should be aware of? Okay, well, physically, um, these are some indicators. Uh, low energy levels or fatigue, mm -hmm. um, abnormal weight loss or gain, uh, feeling cold constantly, uh, constipation, dizziness or fainting, um, loss of menstrual periods, mm -hmm. uh, menstrual periods, I should say too. Um, behaviorally, uh, these are some red flags. Uh, following strict food rules and feeling bad if you violate any of those rules. Uh, being anxious or upset if your food isn't just so or uh, exactly as you expect it to be. Um, restricting more and more foods uh, from your diet. Mm -hmm. Making yourself vomit after eating. Uh, eating in secret. Uh, avoiding eating with others or situations in which might, uh, you might have to face food. Uh, eating in a way that feels out of control. Um, following a strict exercise regimen or exercising even when you are tired or injured, um, using dietary supplements or drugs for the purpose of changing your body weight or shape, and checking your body shape or size frequently. Um, so these are just some of the many different things that people with eating disorders might present with. Okay, and what are some of the long-term consequences of eating disorders? Um, lo loss of bone mass density, uh, weaker bones, uh, osteoporosis. So it's in the adolescent and young adult years that the bones are really being built up before loss of bone mass naturally occurs with aging. So undernutrition and overexercising during these years can really take a serious toll on uh, bone health. Mm -hmm. um, restricting, purging, laxative misuse, and binging can really mess up the digestive system. Mm -hmm. um, over time, purging can cause erosion of the enamel on the teeth, which doesn't regenerate. Mm -hmm. Um, so these are some of the long-term physical consequences. And I'll also say that eating disorders can impair people's functioning to the point that they have to drop out of school or take a leave of absence from work. And so this can interfere with their career um, and their earning ability. So there can also be these long-term economic consequences. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank you for highlighting those long-term consequences. And um, now that we've learned about some of you know, the common signs of eating disorders, what are some things um, that we could do to support a peer or a loved one that we think may be experiencing an eating disorder? First, to any listener who's worried that a peer, a friend, or a loved one has an eating disorder or is currently supporting someone who has an eating disorder, um, I so feel for you. So what can you do? Um, keep your mind and your ears open. Uh, become informed about eating disorders because the more you know, the more supportive you can be. 
uh, so the NEDIC website, which is www.nedic.ca, is one place where you can go for lots of information and resources. And you can find out where your person can go for professional help and support. Like ask your person how they're doing, validate their experience, let them know that you're concerned and that you really care about them. Ask them how you can help. I mean, everyone's situation is different and um, you can ask what they see as being helpful to them. Like how can you um, be most helpful to them? Mm -hmm. So now this is something that might not come to mind as being a form of support, but it really is, I think, meaningful. Avoid commenting on weight or appearance, theirs or others. Mm -hmm. So your person may already be very focused on their body and how it compares with other people's. So even comments that um, are meant to be positive and complimentary may actually validate unhelpful beliefs that they may have about the importance of physical appearance. Um, you can really reflect on your own attitudes about food, weight, size, and shape, and ask yourself what biases you might have and how might you be conveying them to others? Um, what biases do you have that perhaps need to be unlearned? Mm -hmm. um, you can offer your person encouragement, make note of and celebrate positive steps that they um, take in dealing with their eating disorder and help them recognize their strength and to see the possibilities of recovery. You can remind your person of the qualities and abilities that make them the wonderful human being that they are that are unrelated to food and body. Spend time together that doesn't focus on their eating disorder. Be patient. Um, recovering can be a slow, slow process. And there can be many ups and downs along the way. Mm -hmm. And be mindful of your own limits and ensure that you have healthy boundaries for yourself. Tend to your own needs and well-being and know that it's okay to seek support for yourself too. Thank you so much for providing us with all that helpful information, Emily. And I think it is really important to highlight that our words are very impactful um, mm -hmm. and just small comments such as, you know, complimenting someone on their appearance um, can actually be pretty um, harmful for someone that is experiencing an eating disorder. And mm -hmm. Yeah, just to go off that, I wanted to talk about diet culture. We see this concept thrown around a lot in the media lately. Definitely the new year, um, we see a lot of that on social media. So I just want um, to educate our listeners on what is diet culture and how would you say it's related to eating disorders? Mm -hmm. So diet culture refers to a belief system about bodies that prioritizes weight, shape, and size over well-being. And it upholds thin or lean bodies as the standards for appearance and health, defines normal with a narrow range of weights and sizes, and devalues and stigmatizes bodies that are heavier or larger. It promotes the pursuit of achieving and maintaining a thin or lean body. And certain ways of living are labeled as being superior because they supposedly help with that, like uh, eating a diet that's all fresh and quote unquote natural, 
or avoiding sugars and other carbs and going to the gym and getting 10,000 steps a day and so on. Mm. Meanwhile, if we don't do certain things, then we are doing something wrong. We are lazy. And when we've internalized diet culture messaging, uh, we believe that thin, lean bodies are the most attractive, the healthiest, the worthiest. And we may then fear fat and fatness and have negative attitudes towards people with larger bodies. Uh, we may then become preoccupied with controlling our bodies, trying to keep it within the so-called normal range or trying to lose weight to get it there. So then we become anxious around food and eating and worried about food containing too much of something or not being pure enough or whatever. And only eating, I don't know, like between certain hours of the day. And then we lose sight of what and how to eat in response to what our bodies are telling us to. And we feel bad and we beat ourselves up if we break a food rule that we come to believe that we have to follow. And we may invest a lot of time and money um, and even go to extreme dangerous measures to control or change our bodies. So dieting can seem benign, but it's, it's really not. It is a risk factor for the development of eating disorders. So diet culture can harm us individually in a lot of ways. And it also oppresses people who don't fit its ideals. So various groups of people um, are disproportionately harmed. So women, trans people, fat people, people with disabilities, BIPOC communities, poor people. Mm -hmm. So there's like these broad um, harms that take place. Yeah, I think such a prevalent thing that we see everywhere. I mean, growing up, I think we were just constantly bombarded with these messages. Um, like I remember early in my teen days, there would be things promoting diet culture like in the teen magazines I would read and now with the use of like Instagram and Facebook it's all over those platforms so it's really something that we it's so hard to get away from um but what do you think are some things that we could do to fight back at diet culture speaking of social media <laughs> if you're a social media user unfollow people on social media who promote diet culture and fat phobia and instead follow and support people who stand for body inclusivity. Um, speak up when you witness or um, see food or body shaming and make a statement that it's not cool to put down um, other people's food intake or bodies. And note that body shaming ultimately hurts everyone. And think about different ways that uh, resonate with you to call out diet culture. So for example, you can comment on a social media post that promotes diet culture. You can write a letter to the editor of a local newspaper or write to a business that prioritizes uh, profit over people's well-being. So there are like different ways that you can uh, fight back at diet culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think also um, like if you're talking to a friend and maybe they make a comment maybe negative about their own weight or what they're eating, um, you know, of course, if you are experiencing an eating disorder, those comments can be very difficult to hear, but responding back with, you know, um, something that demystifies diet culture can really help get the conversation going. And I think awareness is key. And of course, mm -hmm. um, I think it's really important to really look at your social media page and think, how are these people that I'm following, how do they make me feel? 
Mm -hmm. Um, and personally, I follow a lot of dietitians, such as, um, Emily yourself. I'm sure you, everyone can follow Emily on Instagram. I'll link all her information in the description. Um, but there's so many, um, health professionals that, um, promote positive messages, um, that you can follow instead of those that promote diet culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So think about ways in which the um, accounts that you're following serve you or don't serve you. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wanted to ask, uh, since you are you know, such an expert in, in a registered dietitian, um, what do you think are some diet myths that students should be aware of? I'm sure there's plenty out there. So many. <laughs> well, I actually want to start with this one. You can attain the body you want or the weight you want if you just work hard enough. <laughs> so <laughs> there are many factors, biological, environmental, behavioral, that determine an individual's weight. And these are fundamentally influenced by genetics. Mm -hmm. So weight is not as modifiable as it's often claimed to be. We as humans have a powerful homeostatic system. The body is programmed um, such that when it's shifted away from its biologically appropriate weight, for example, weight loss through any type of dieting, various mechanisms are activated in an effort to return it to where it was previously. And by biologically appropriate, I mean the weight that supports optimal physiological and psychological functioning. And that can be maintained without any type of restriction, overexercising, or other disordered behaviors. And this weight is different for every individual. Mm -hmm. That's such an important, commonly held belief, I think, that, of course, diet culture promotes. But thank you for debunking mm -hmm. that. So if you are you know, trying to modify your weight and you are really struggling, know that it's not your lack of willpower. Um, it's not something that you're doing. It is your body mm -hmm. trying to do what it is meant to do. So another one, uh, another myth is that sugar or carbs are addictive. Now, advocates of the concept of food addiction claim that brain studies that show that eating sugar or uh, sugary foods activates the reward system, similar to the way that the use of substances like cocaine does. But do you know what else? Uh, produces similar activity in the brain. Laughing, uh, cuddling puppies, nice things like that. Um, and study findings that rats exhibit addiction-like behavior around sugar or a high carb, high fat food is also supposedly evidence that food addiction is a thing. What isn't given due attention though, is that these behavior patterns, uh, the compulsive eating behavior, has really only been observed following intermittent or controlled access to the sugary or energy dense food, not when the rats had free access. So by um, dieting, by restricting, that is um, what really is the trigger for those binge or addictive like behaviors. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think again, the media kind of demonizes certain, you know, high sugar foods, um, cakes and 
things that ultimately bring us joy. Um, so we kind of make rules for ourselves, like, no, this food is off limits. But um, yeah, I think it's important to highlight that in the literature, it's been found that restricting yourself will then often lead to binges. So thank you for highlighting that. And it's not even just things like cake that are demonized, even like fruit. Yeah. Um, people get afraid that fruit has too much sugar and worrying about eating like half a banana. Yes. Um, yes, I've definitely seen um, like social media influencers promoting like just eating half a granola bar because the whole thing is too much. Um, and something else that I wanted to point out that I see a lot is a lot of people posting about how oh, maybe you're not actually hungry. Maybe you're actually thirsty. So if you're hungry, just drink water. Um, so do you have anything to say about that message? I think it's gotten twisted up in um, the way in which uh, drinking water um, can sort of blunt uh, feelings of hunger. And it's thought that if I drink water, maybe I can squelch um, my hunger pangs and um, use that as a way of avoiding eating. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But um, if you're feeling hungry, it's your body telling you, you need food, yeah. <laughs> things that contain energy. Mm -hmm. I think it's so important to listen to your body. Um, and just going off that, do you have any tips for students on how they can start to build a healthy relationship with food and their own bodies? Mm -hmm. So we can cultivate a healthy relationship with food when we stop using judgment-laden language to describe it. Mm -hmm. For example, using words like bad or junk or clean and even healthy and unhealthy can be unhelpful labels. So let's think of food as being neutral, something that gives us energy and um, all foods being able to nourish us in some way. So with this mindset, um, there's no way to be wrong in our food choices or the way that we eat. There's no doing something right or wrong, no way to be a better human or a worse human based on what or how we eat. But from my experience with clients and reading research literature on disordered eating, I found that restriction is eventually more likely to perpetuate chaotic eating than to resolve it. Uh, this next piece is for anyone who feels that the relationship with food is unhealthy because they struggle with emotional eating. So eating can be super helpful in coping with hard feelings. And I really wanna stress that there's nothing wrong with turning to food for comfort. If eating is your only strategy to eat though, it's the only tool in your uh, toolbox, so to speak, um, for dealing with emotional challenges, then it can be problematic. So it's worthwhile to find other tools um, and add them to your toolbox. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanna say that it might be helpful to think of your body as your home, something to tend to and nurture. Um, a healthy relationship our bodies is grounded in body respect. So let's shift to the focus when it comes to our bodies away from how we look. Consider the idea that how we look is really not as important as we've been told and may have been led to believe. Let's respect and appreciate what they can do. Um, 
If this is a completely new and challenging concept for you, start by coming up with just one tiny thing that your body lets you do that you can be thankful for. And consider as well that weight is not the big determinant of health and illness that it's made out to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Consider reading books or blogs or social media accounts that question and call out diet culture. Spend more time with people who don't engage in diet talk and help you feel good about you as a person and less time with people who do things that make you feel bad about what and how you eat or about your body. And know that it's normal to need help in healing a negative relationship with food or body and that help is available. Um, as a student, uh, you can access counseling services through the Campus Health Center. And as mentioned earlier, Netic has a helpline, so you can call or use the instant chat platform to obtain referrals. Yeah, and I'll definitely be highlighting some of um, the tools that students can access if they do want to speak to a professional about any disordered eating behaviors they may be experiencing. Um, but thank you so much, Emily, for talking to me today about this extremely important topic. Um, and I hope that everyone will check out Emily's page. Um, and I'll definitely link that in the description. So yeah, thank you so much, Emily. Thank you so much for having me on this episode. Thank you everyone for listening to this episode of Healthy You Chats. If you are looking for more support or need someone to talk to, Netix Helpline is available from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. Monday to Thursday and Friday from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. The number for this helpline is 416-340-4156. This number will also be listed in the podcast description. University of Toronto students also have access to My SSP, which is a great resource if you're looking for immediate support. You can talk to someone right away and also be connected to a psychotherapist for longer-term counseling. It's available 24-7 in multiple languages, and it can be accessed internationally. You can visit uft.me slash myssp for more information. The link to this resource will be linked in the description box. There are some other great resources for students that are living in Ontario. The first one is Sheena's Place, and they offer support groups for anyone over the age of 17 affected by an eating disorder, as well as their families and friends. No referral is needed to join, and the groups are free of charge. Body Brave is another great resource, and they also provide online support groups as well as individual psychotherapy. Most of their services are free of charge or covered by OHIP. The links and numbers to additional resources will be provided in the description box of this podcast.